More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Second hour of Clay and Buck kicks off right now, everybody. Thank you for uh, hanging out with us. We are, I believe, are we joined? Do we have him? Okay. We do. We're joined now by Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. He is a presidential candidate in this GOP primary. Senator Scott, pleasure to have you back on the program, sir. Well, thank you all both for having me back. and It's uh, always a good day to be back on the air with I know it's it's an obvious question. It's an easy question from the perspective of the one asking, but I think it's a more difficult one to make worthwhile for the one responding, Senator. Why are you running? What do you want to do that would be different from some of the other Republican nominees? I think it's so important for me, the guy who's been blessed with the America that everyone should be in love with. I believe that America can do for anyone what she has done for me, and that includes restoring hope, creating opportunities, and protecting the America we love. I would start my presidential uh, service by re-signing the XL Keystone Pipeline because our American energy future is our national security future. Where we are in charge of our own lives, our own energy, we are going to be on solid ground. Second thing I would say is that China is an existential threat, period. Everything that we do to decouple our economy from China's economy is good for the nation. And without any question, staying with the security apparatus, our southern border is a crisis. I've always said if you don't control the back door to your house, it ain't your house. If you don't control your southern border, it might not be your country. President Biden has failed us failed us miserably protecting Americans, including the 70,000 Americans who've lost their lives to fentanyl and the 100 folks at our national security list walking across our southern border. We have to secure our southern border and use the latest technology in order to surveil our southern border and stop fentanyl from killing another 70,000 Americans this year. 
Senator, you got called out, and I know this is crazy to even have to ask about because I think it's the dumbest show filled with the dumbest people on media on a daily basis. But Joy Behar said, essentially, you didn't know what it was like to be black in America. Uh, I'm curious how you would respond to that, as well as Sonny Hostin coming after you. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a sign that The View views you as a threat to their left-wing hegemony. But what are your thoughts when you hear someone like Joy Behar say you don't know what it's like to be black in America, and so your experience doesn't count? Well, there's no doubt a white lady dressing up in black face, giving a black man advice, probably doesn't ring true in anyone's mind, certainly not my own. But more importantly, I find it offensive and disgusting and dangerous for a very different reason. I'm used to having the left attack me because the, the truth of my life disproves their lies. And I say that because of this. When I helped write the tax cuts and Jobs Act, they called me a prop. When I started talking about refunding the police, they called me a token. When I stepped forward and pushed back on President Biden's malign agenda, they called me the N-word. I don't I'm used to it. Here's what is dangerous and offensive to me. For every young child in America wanting to think for themselves, draw their own conclusions, what they're saying to them is stay in your place. Do not stick your head up because we're going to tell you how to think so you never learn anything about what you should think. It is literally the dumbest, most offensive thing I've ever witnessed on TV to hear these millionaire TV personalities telling me how to live my life as a black man, but more importantly, suggesting to every child, stay in your place, follow my lead, or you too will reap the same harvest of Tim Scott or Clarence Thomas or any other conservative who dares, dares to think for themselves. You know, it's first of all, that's a very powerful response, and I think it's incredibly well said. I don't know if you saw the comments from Ice Cube. He's a popular rapper for our audience out there that might not know him. On the flip side, he spoke out over the weekend and said, hey, we've been voting Democrat almost exclusively for 60 years. And he said, how has that made black Americans' experience better? I'm curious if wow. you saw those comments and what you think about what they could represent in terms of black Americans being encouraged by Ice Cube to look around and say, hey, being all in on one side maybe isn't the best way to advance our political interests. What are your thoughts there? Well, I, I celebrate Ice Cube's comments, so I did not hear them. I will say this, that the African-American poverty rate has hovered over 25% for those 60 years you're talking about, 40 of those 60 years, the Democrats from 1954 until 1994 had 100% control of the United States House of Representatives. Just take a look back and see how bad those years were for African Americans. Here's the difference, and this is why I think Ice Cube is, has a finger on the artery, not just the pulse, but the artery. It's that when we were in control as Republicans, we funded historically black colleges and universities at the highest level in the history of the country and made their funding permanent because both myself and President Trump 
believed then what we know now, that education is the closest thing to magic and making sure that African-Americans and every other racial group in this country has the same access to high-quality education, we made it a part of our objective. We lowered taxes for single moms, 73% of their federal tax burden went down. That's important when you think about the fact that 75% of African-American kids are growing up in a single-parent household. Why not give that mother her money back? So when we start talking about the policy successes that we've had for all of America, with no exceptions, it's a reason the African-American community is taking a second look at the Republican Party. And the more we go, I did a black town hall, a black church this past Sunday. And the good news is, at that black church, about 60% of the people that were there were white, Hispanic, and about 30 to 40% African-Americans. Here's what we're learning. We can no longer judge people by the color of their skin. Thank God Almighty. We judge them now by the content of their character. That's called American progress. We should all celebrate it. We're speaking to Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. He's a presidential candidate in this election. Uh, Senator Scott, to follow on to what you were just saying, um, do you think that is, is part of your strategy? Clay and I were talking about this last week. Uh, the Democrat Party in presidential elections, stretching back for as long as I can remember, gets effectively, call it roughly 90% of the black vote. Do you believe that if you are the GOP nominee, you could change that number such that Democrat coalition fails and you win as the Republican? I think my message enjoys popularity with conservatives who happen to be black, who happen to be white, who happen to be Hispanic. Here's what I know for certain, that being able to go where you're not invited, sharing the good news of conservatism, which, of course, Clay Buck, you know, they're called American values. Conservative principles work wherever they are applied. The one place where I've seen the least application has been in the minority communities, and specifically the African-American community, where we've seen a lot of government assistance, but not enough entrepreneurship. In today's America, every community that has strong entrepreneurship has low unemployment. I believe taking our message to those communities across this nation will pr- produce better results. It works for me in South Carolina. I think it will work nationwide where I enjoy more than 20% of the African-American vote or very close to it, election in, election out over several, two decades now. Senator Tim Scott with us now. Uh, He is running for president. There's some things that occur that I just can't believe are real. You have an athletics background, I believe, And so you were talking about just being able to reach out to audiences everywhere. Would you have ever believed, Senator, that not one single congressperson in the House and not one single senator would believe, would vote to say that men don't belong in women's athletics? And let me build on that a little bit. I don't know if you've seen this headline. Sam Ponder, who does an NFL show for ESPN, actually spoke out, and she spoke out and said, hey, this is wrong. We shouldn't have men identifying as women competing against uh, women. And a USA Today editorial called her a bigot for having that perspective. 
Can you believe that this is where we are in the world right now in our country? Unbelievable. I've said it oftentimes around the country, and I'll say it again, that transgender ideology is going to ruin female sports if we let it continue. There's no way, as a guy who played college football 25 pounds ago, there's no way (laughs) in the world that I should be competing against women in college if I were still that primetime athlete that I was 30 years ago. So the truth is that if we want to protect women's sports, protect the integrity of competition, you, you, you cannot take any other position than one that I've just asserted. It, it is common sense. And frankly, I don't understand why it's controversial. I think that's 100% right. Senator Tim Scott, appreciate you being with us, sir. Good luck to you in your campaign. And uh, come back as things get closer to, uh, you know, the big days of voting and talk to us again, okay? God bless you all. Thank you for representing truth everywhere. Thank- Thank you, sir. We try. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Senator Tim Scott. We will talk to him for sure again soon as this process of the presidency continues to play out. You guys can react to that, 800-282-2882. But I want to tell you, a listener of this program used an extra day this past weekend to scan dozens of family photos and old family records in advance of a family reunion. Some of these photos, more than 100 years old. They're all now safely on his laptop, ready for a little show-and-tell this coming July 4th weekend with his family. But are they really safe on that laptop? After all, if it crashes, all bets are off. But it's easy to back up what's on that computer. iDrive makes it so that in a few minutes, you can download the iDrive software and start backing up everything on your own computer, just like our listeners should do iDrive.com is where you start your computer data upload and secured on secure iDrive servers in the cloud. They use military-grade encryption to keep all your data safe. You'll be able to back up your data daily or more often than that if you'd like. They keep your 10 most recent backups accessible only to you. If and only when you use the access because your computer or smartphone is crashed, it will be there for you iDrive is a PC Mag winner eight years in a row as the best cloud backup solution. Plans start at less than $7 a month. iDrive.com. Get 90% off your first year when you use my name, Clay, when you sign up. That's iDrive.com slash Clay. Use that name today. iDrive.com. My name, Clay. Clay Travis and Buck Sexton making sense in an insane world. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny. 
the warmth of Fredo and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Clay and Buck. This was a, a remarkable story that uh, started to get a lot of attention over the weekend. wanted to share it with you. Um, a woman at the Equinox uh, chain of high-end gyms named Robin Europe, who is a, herself a former professional bodybuilder, uh, she says that she, well, that she was discriminated against at the Equinox Club and she sued them and won an $11 million judgment. This is in Manhattan Federal Court. Now, as a, as a matter of, of record, Equinox, uh, have you, Clay, have you ever been to an Equinox? I belong One time. To a, I know this is a super yeah. fancy gem for people out there it's, who have not been. It's not super fancy. It's just not, you know, it, it's, it's sort of, uh, it's not know, planet fitness. Well, planet I, fitness, right? You it would could cost say, a lot of money. It's the target of gyms, you know. It's sort of a, oh, really? No, oh, I mean, I'm thinking of it as fancier than uh, maybe than it's more like gyms. the Neiman. Maybe it's more like the Neiman Marcus of gyms. I think that's okay, a better. I think go. that's a better analogy. That's a better one. All right, but uh, I, I've belonged to several of them in New York. I know you wouldn't necessarily know that, folks, but I've uh, you know just from from the photos. But I've belonged to several equinoxes in New York, and um, she sued. She won eleven million dollars, but as a matter of record. Uh, she was late for work 47 times in 10 months, 47 times in 10 months. Now, Clay, you've had, I've had employees, you've had employees, you're late once it happens. You're late a few times over the course of a couple of months, stuff happens. You're late 47 times in 10 months means you're almost late five times a month. That starts to feel like chronic lateness, which is generally grounds for termination, um, and what's interesting is the stuff that I'm trying to think the case revolved in large part around allegations that a manager who reported to Miss Europe, a middle aged white man, this is from the New York Times, whom she described as insulated by his relationships 
refused to accept her as a supervisor. She claimed he repeatedly delivered his vulgar takes on on black female bodies, referred to non-white employees as lazy, and expressed the hope that he could get them fired. Um, what's it? So a subordinate, she says a subordinate employee that she could fire, I would assume, she's his, she is his uh, superior, or should, could at least take action against, said stuff that she didn't like. There is absolutely no um, record of this. It's just she said that a guy said some things, and she was late 47 times, and she got $11 million. And you sit here say, I mean, she's probably in this role. I know. I actually have a friend who's a, tra- a friend of mine's a trainer at Equinox. She's probably making eighty grand, something like that, and she gets eleven million dollars. To this, I just want to say, first of all, wow, what is the burden of proof here? Oh, there's a white guy at my office who said some stuff who works for me as a subordinate, a subordinate employee that I took no action against. He said things that I don't like that I found discriminatory or whatever. So I get eleven million dollars now. Why not a hundred million dollars? I'm, I'm just wondering, like, how do you come up with the eleven million dollar verdict, Clay? Well, hopefully this is one of those cases. And again, I, I've not seen the full case, but hopefully this is one of those cases where there is a substantial ground for appeal because it's not uncommon that sometimes a jury will act in a method or manner that's irrational in terms of the verdict that they return. If you're right, Buck, and this woman was making, let's say she was making a hundred thousand dollars a year because it makes the math easy. Uh, that would mean that she would need to work for over a hundred years at Equinox to make eleven million dollars. I, I really, really mean this. Can I get a job somewhere where some? First of all, I've had tons of jobs where people have been, uh, you know, said all kinds of things I didn't like, especially when I was in a subordinate role, treated me poorly, said stuff that you know, whatever. Can I get a job where someone says a few things that I don't like that make me uncomfortable, and in a few months' time, I get a pay, I get a payout for eleven million dollars? Get that's me what, this job. Get me this job that's so that's so horrible that you get eleven million dollars. Most of the time, you don't make a, a hundred times what your salary would be because somebody says something mean to you, even if it's true. Particularly when you weren't a very good employee in the first place. Another Tuesday, another data breach happened to a company with millions of customer files. This time around, it's Bright Spring Health. Nearly six million records stolen include social security numbers, names, birth dates, medical info, more. Cybercriminals can use this info to commit identity theft. Now, it's important to understand how cybercrime and identity theft are affecting our lives. Your personal info gets exposed often. It's dangerously easy for cybercriminals to steal your identity online, which is why you need LifeLock by Norton. LifeLock will detect and alert you to potential identity threats you might not spot on your own. Now, remember, no one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all times, but it's easy to help protect yourself with LifeLock. Join now and save 25% off your first year with promo code CLAY. Call 1-800-LIFELOCK or go to LifeLock.com. Use promo code CLAY for 25% off. So I just told you the story of a personal trainer fired from an Equinox gym in New York City claiming that a white subordinate co-worker, a white male, said things that she found uh, bigoted or racist about, I guess, other people in the gym. Um and she was late enough that she certainly could have been terminated on that grounds alone, but she instead got eleven million dollars. And and I sit here and I say, and Clay's telling me, well, maybe that will be reduced, and 
we'll see. Um, but also when I looked at this story, something else came up. Some of you may recall this was back in November of 2022 that a black female FedEx supervisor, a supervisor at the uh, FedEx company, won a, did you hear about this, Clay? $366 million jury award in a case <laughs> where there was supposedly racial bias. It's fascinating. Whenever I read through these news reports on the racial bias, I'm look, I'm looking for, you know, oh man, where, where, what is this stuff? Where are the grotesque, racist, you know, really degrading things that we could all sit there and say, well, that is appalling and the companies shouldn't be held $366 million is crazy, but you know, there should be an award here. And it's always, I didn't think, you know, in this case, it's, I didn't think I got promoted when I should have been. And I think there was discrimination against me. I've seen nothing in this case, uh, in now, granted, I've only done a quick read of it in the last few minutes, but nothing to justify a $3 million settlement, never mind a $366 million. I mean, I don't know. I think $366 million is a lot of money. And, and I think what you're starting to see is people might recognize that this stuff all, this all has costs and consequences. You know, you're, when, when you're going to get people getting $300 million verdicts or even $10 million verdicts, that expense is not just coming from, you know, up in the air, the ether, whatever. These are companies now that are going to have to be paying out this, this money. Now, sometimes it's covered by insurance, but their insurance rates go up. What happens then? You're going to be paying more for your gym membership. You're going to be paying more for FedEx if these kinds of verdicts become the norm, which I think you're starting to see this is getting way out of control. Now, the New York Times, to be clear, is celebrating the $11 million verdict. They think this is great. $11 million for somebody who says she heard some things she didn't like at work. Um, and, and I sit here and I say, when do we get to point out that this is that there are certainly instances of this where it's just people looking for a massive payday or it's people who are using the, you know, the racial guilt in this country and the terror that companies have of being considered racist for a second to just absolutely ring the cash register as much as possible. Most of the time, Buck, these cases will get tossed on appeal, the verdicts. Because that, that's why I was pointing out, let's say this woman's making $100,000 a year, okay? Um, she got 100 years of salary because, according to her, some people at her employer said mean things about her. So usually, again, usually, there would be the plaintiff lawyer and the defense attorney would sit down and say, okay, like, this number is totally out of whack. Uh, we'll give you two and a half million dollar settlement, or we're going to appeal this, and your client's going to lose most of this verdict, right? Because again, under a lot of uh different law, oftentimes I don't know the three hundred million dollar verdict is probably wildly outside of what a jury could deliver in those cases. Now, as an attorney, I represented a lot of big companies. In the U.S. Virgin Islands, can I just tell you, the three hundred sixty-six was not. Yeah. They took it to court, Clay, to get it over. They took it to appeal. You know what happened at appeal? Maintained. Where yep. is the case from? Um, U.S. District Court of the Southern District of Texas. So usually, again, sometimes you have to go all the way to the Supreme Court to get some of these cases tossed out. I- I'm not an expert in that particular case. There has to be, in order for a verdict to be applied. 
some sort of mathematical connection that typically would allow it to occur. So um, most of these massive verdicts that you see that are plaintiff uh, involved, I'm not talking about a massive lawsuit, right? Sometimes you have these class action lawsuits uh, where, you know, theoretically a million people could each make $80 if they filled out the form and turned it back in. And really it's the lawyers who are ending up as the biggest beneficiaries here because they get 30 or 35% of a contingency fee. Um, there's no doubt that our court system is oftentimes strangled by unnecessary litigation. And an easy way to think about this is, if, Buck, we had half of the truck drivers that we have in this country, our entire economy would collapse. Think about it. If we had half of the lawyers, everything would be fine. (laughs) Right? So sometimes you can look around, and you could probably say if we had a quarter of the lawyers, everything would be fine. Because there is a tax that is being created by the legal profession in this country that does not make the country more efficient than it otherwise would be by many lawyers often filing unscrupulous lawsuits that are unnecessary and actually make things worse for the vast majority of the country. So jurors awarded Harris, the a female um, you know, a plaintiff in this case, $1.16 million in compensatory damages. All right. I mean, you know, if maybe there was something that people's maybe there she wasn't, you know, fairly she's making like again eighty to a hundred grand a year. You're giving her ten years yeah. of wages. Okay, okay. They ordered a million dollars in compensatory damages and three hundred and sixty-five million dollars in punitive damages. Yeah. Now you'd say, and I, to your point, I think that there's like a faith here that you and I would both have in the system that say, "Oh, come on." Well, the update, that story was in November. The update as of February 3rd of this year was a Fifth Circuit judge rejected FedEx's request to throw out or reduce the $366 million in damages. So it made it to the appeal, and the appeals court guy was like, no, I'm sorry. So I, I, I don't know if they... The, the way that typically this would work is it, it was a district court verdict um, in Texas, First of all, I don't know what the law is in the state of Texas on punitive damages. I bet we have geniuses who are experts on this. Typically, you could not reward a 300x punitive damage on top of a $1 million verdict, generally speaking. Sometimes, Buck, what you have to do, and this gets into the legal technicalities, um, sometimes you get a bad judge right on the Fifth Circuit. You might get, I don't know who that judge is, but... My bet would be that he would have been a Democrat appointee on the Fifth Circuit, which is traditionally a conservative uh, court in the country. And so you get a hearing in front of one, and you have to require that the entire Fifth Circuit review it. Right. So, I mean, it's it's look, it's making its way up the chain, but I just think it's interesting that this is the, the initial 366 million. They went to a district court judge, a federal judge, and said, hey, guys, the 366 million for discrimination that was apparently never proven there's no yeah the basis for this is her perception that she was discriminated against uh she's a she was a black woman who says that they treated her differently because she's a black woman and the judge said no we're going to keep it so now they're going to the fifth circuit court of appeals to elevate it beyond the initial federal district judge but clay who is this initial district judge like this is this is crazy town yeah it is and, <laughs> and you- i would bet again it, that it's almost entirely unjustifiable under texas law because 
a lot of states have tried to put caps on punitive damages and damages in general because what ends up happening in many of these tort lawsuits is this is a default tax on all of the citizens of Texas because the corporation has to in some way count on all these dollars that otherwise would go to running their business going out to people with yeah. unjustified payments I, but, instead. And, and that's exactly what, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at here is... This isn't, the juries think, oh, great, we're striking a blow against racism, even if no racism was proved, you know, it makes a point or something. And this woman then gets very rich, yay. Um, people might get fired over this, you know? I mean, you you know, you you look at what happened, now, it's very different, not a racial discrimination suit, but even the Dominion lawsuit at Fox, they had layoffs recently. Now, they can say that it has nothing to do with the $800 million settlement, but people lost their yeah. jobs. When you have a huge judgment against the company, they have to cut costs. People are going to get fired. So if you're bringing a frivolous or false racial discrimination suit and getting a massive judgment, there are good people that get hurt by that. And the consumer certainly gets hurt, to your point, about effectively socializing these costs, which we're seeing in a whole range of ways. Well, and not only that, Buck, I mean, if you think in a bigger picture as opposed to one individual, which is, again, that dollar figure would be entirely unjustified. Also, many of the people who lose their jobs are minorities. <laughs> you know, if if a company has to retrench and end up laying off lots of workers, then you're trying to rectify injustice by in some way actually taking out more of an issue on minorities to reward one, right? And this, of course, is the great fallacy of BLM in general. The biggest the biggest losers of all of BLM are impoverished people in inner-city neighborhoods who can't walk outside yeah. safely because they fired all the cops in the name of trying to make the world less racist. It's also just, it requires a total suspension of the reality that we all live in in this country where... In 99% of corporate settings and circumstances, what's the fastest way to get fired, right? The fastest way to get fired, say something racist. No matter what company, no matter what business, no matter where you are, what you're doing, the fastest way to lose your job is to say something racist. And yet we're to believe that in these cases, there was all of this, you know, grotesque racism underway that no one can prove and no one knew about, no one heard about. But look... It's because there's going to be more of this. I mean, Clay, it's from the attorney side of it, too, right? $11 million here, $300 million there starts to add up those legal fees, you know, and and this is this is where uh, can you think it's, it's a good question for everybody else out there. How many professions could you eliminate half of the people doing it and actually make the world better? You could eliminate half of attorneys and America would work just as efficiently and effectively as it does now. How many professions can you say that about? Just think about it. And, yeah. and a lot of them that don't pay very well, the country would basically cease to exist, right? I mean, if you took away half of the people who work at gas stations, we'd have a real issue, right? Take away yeah. half the lawyers, country might be better off. You know, the other week I got to do an extraordinary thing. I sat down with a market analyst who made a special video presentation, but the market analyst is somebody I know very well. It's my dad, Mason Sexton. So you probably recognize the last name. We talked about a premise that's very important to him, the great disruption of 2023. Look, in the past, he predicted the stock market crash of 87, the top of the market before the crash. He's made several major calls publicly, but what he sees now is unlike anything he's seen in 50 years of Wall Street experience. 
You can read up on it now so you'll know how to prepare. In this interview, he reveals the date this July when he thinks things are going to turn really ugly in the markets. We're already starting to see the signs of disruption. Banks floundering, real estate losing its value at a rapid rate, inflation causing sticker shock at the grocery store. My dad, Mason, will tell you why most analysts are wrong about a coming decade in lost lost stocks, uh, or lost decade rather in stocks, and why what's coming could be much, much worse. This is his first major public prediction in 30 years. So if you missed it, the video is still up. You can watch now. Watch the replay at disruption2023.com. That's disruption2023.com. Sunday Hang with Clay and Buck, a new podcast. Find it on the iHeart app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Uh, last week, Ron DeSantis hopped on the show, I believe it was on Thursday, after he announced for president on Wednesday and said on his first day in office he would consider the appeals of January 6th defendants, including potentially the President of the United States as well in the event that Trump was charged with crimes, as both Buck and myself believe that he is likely to be. That is, we believe that Jack Smith 
independent counsel is going to recommend charges and the mayor Garland's going to bring them against Trump. I think in the next 60 days, if I were laying out June, July is when I would anticipate that potentially happening. Uh, well, Peter Ducey, Fox News White House correspondent asked Joe Biden about those comments. Uh, let me make sure that I get this right. Uh, this was, uh, yesterday as what Biden left for Delaware. Here is this exchange. Listen. You see that Ron DeSantis said that if he became president, he would pardon Trump. Where are you on the idea of President pardoning Trump? <laughs> I'll see you guys if you couldn't hear that. Now, uh, DeSantis said he would consider pardoning Trump. He didn't say he would definitely do it. I said that if I were running for president, I would definitely do it. Buck, I haven't seen a lot of other Republican candidates step up and say the same thing. To me, this is a no-brainer, but Biden obviously uh, dodging that question as his Department of Justice attempts to try to put, this is important, try to put his chief political rival in jail. Yeah, and there's there's also real historical precedent here um where look i think that the i think that the prosecutions of donald trump are are bogus political hit jobs but just put that aside for a moment uh the the pardon of richard nixon by by gerald ford we understood that that was done or at least i should say you know historically that's looked back on as this allows the country to move forward and to you know, to not let things go too far off the rails politically where you have a former president going to prison. Once you have former presidents going to prison, the descent into authoritarian third world hellhole happens real fast. Yeah, because the people in charge start to think, hold on a second. When I'm not in charge, does that mean that maybe I go into a cell that changes the mentality very fast? So uh this is this is I think it's it's clear as day. Um I, I think that he should be look. Trump may be the nominee. Trump may be the president. So to be fair, this may be a non-issue in that sense, but I can't see a future in which if they bring charges and get some conviction or convictions against Donald Trump, that a Republican president, whether it's Tim Scott, Ron DeSantis, whomever, uh, wouldn't pardon Donald Trump. I mean, like I said, it's good politics and good ethics. And by the way, this is also worth contemplating, and we need to get Andy McCarthy on or Bill Barr, somebody who is very familiar with the D.C. Circuit, because my impression would be, Buck, and we talked about this last week, if there are charges brought against Trump, and I think you agree with me that there are likely to be federal charges brought, we've said that for some time, but if it's going to happen in June and July, which is when I think the time frame is going to be, is it possible that they're going to try to rush this? so that this trial in D.C. could happen before the March 25th start date of the New York City trial. This is really important because if they are, they could try to put Trump in jail before he were even able to get out on the trail and run. I mean, this is crazy stuff to be talking about, but the thing we still don't know is what does that D.C. circuit schedule look like? How quickly could those cases get put together? Because my argument has been, well, New York City's going to come first. We also think charges may come in August. Uh, it seems to be the time frame in Georgia. Is it possible they jump in front of that New York City case and try to put him in prison before the caucuses even go to cast their votes in uh, January in Iowa? This is something to really pay attention to. It's scary. It's unprecedented. We've never seen it happen before. Donald Trump weighed in over the weekend on his feelings about the Disney Corporation. 
center of a fight going on right now. We'll talk about that and more coming up. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 